It's a very good afternoon to you. Wednesday afternoon means pet chat at 2 in your RFM. Our vet, Dr. Robert Stable, will be taking your calls soon. And a very special guest joining us next to talk about canine massage. Yes, Dave. Tim Norris is a canine manual and rehabilitation practitioner specialising in working with dogs with arthritis and muscular injuries. Tim worked for 20 years with people as a sports therapist and corrective uh, exercise specialist before starting working with dogs almost 10 years ago. So, hi, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, Daniel. How are you today? Thank you for joining us today. Look, massage for, for our dogs, our best friends, it uh, doesn't necessarily come up into our thinking all the time, but maybe it should. Um, it's relatively new. It's relatively new for, for, for I think, for dogs in, in, in our area. But um, what would be the, some of the benefits for our dogs if, if we were to be able to give them a massage? Yeah, well, I, I agree with Daniel. I think um, it's seen as some people might perceive it as a bit of a, a luxury or a bit of a pampering service, but it, it really is far from that. I mean, it's it's a very can be a very important part of anyone's sort of um, health and well-being program for their dog, as it can help their dog to, you know, keep moving well, um, keep the muscles in the best possible condition. It can help them recover from surgery or injury quicker. So, and it would be great for not just um, the older dogs, but younger dogs too, because younger dogs. Like people, you know, they're, they're little athletes. You know, they're very sort of um, highly driven. They play at quite high intensity, and the muscles can get sore from time to time, which can potentially put them at risk further down the line of um, things like arthritis, for example. So, you know, not just for older dogs that have got arthritis to help improve their movement quality, but but younger dogs too. So it really does. Um, there's a lot of benefits for dogs of all ages and, and all conditions. Look, so if if we wanted to, would we be able to? give our dog a massage ourselves um, and if so what could we do but then when would it be a good idea to take our dog to a professional a trained canine massage therapist yeah absolutely I mean there's absolutely things you can do I mean you know I, I think probably instinctively maybe a number of dog owners can relate to this they might have maybe they've seen their dog a little bit sore from time to time or they, they realize they're a little bit if they sometimes give them a little bit of a rub so that's absolutely fine. They could do things like, you know, a little bit of a superficial rub. Um, things like heat packs, for example, can be very good for reducing sort of tension within the muscles. But as far as, you know, if your dog's got a real issue with such there, it is really the better thing to do would be to go and see someone who's professionally trained so they can obviously sort of see what the situation is, you know, give the most appropriate treatment. But then potentially they can also then show the owner maybe some little techniques they can actually do for themselves because I think it's really important that, you know, the owners are involved in that process as much as possible. That way it's the best possible outcome for everybody, for the dog and owner. Um, if we wanted to uh, decide to take our dog to a, a trained massage therapist, what are some of the signs we need to look for to see that the dog might actually need to go and get a massage? Oh, that's a really good question, Daniel. I mean, to be honest, I, I try and get people to think about it as they would themselves. So, for example, if you're a little bit stiff and sore yourself or you feel you're not very move, moving particularly well, then that's a good indication of that. Um, if you're recovering from, you know, surgery or illness, for example, then that's another really good time as well just to help the muscles, you know, keep them in the best possible condition and help them heal and recover quicker. So, yeah, a number of different reasons. But generally, people tend to sort of come if their dog's got a bit of arthritis or has muscle soreness or they're just helping them recover from sort of surgery operation. Those tend to be the main reasons why people do 
but also performance. You know, I do work with a lot of agility and performance dogs. Mm. So, again, you know, just helping the right muscles do the right job and help your dog function at its kind of optimal level. So, yeah, those would be the main reasons, Daniel. Is there times when you shouldn't massage your dog? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the dog's pregnant, that's not a good idea then. That certainly wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, if there's some sort of wounds, open wounds, or some sort of acute infection or inflammation, then it's best not to do that. It's always, you know, in that case, you always consult your veterinarian first of all. But there, obviously, those would be the main reasons generally that you wouldn't massage your dog. Yeah. On um, your website, I was uh, having a look there, and, and you talk about treating the dog owners and their dogs as well. What does that involve, and why do you do you say that? <laughs> Yeah, people often ask that one. Well, I've had sort of 20 years of working with people and, you know, generally, you know, it's important to look at both ends of the lead. I mean, yes, if your dog's got an issue with search on there, then obviously you want to treat that issue. But but also, there's, you know, it, it kind of helps the whole education process. If you can sort of help the owner to think more about their own body and how they're looking after themselves, their health, their diet, their movement quality, they're more likely to think about that for them dog. So it's kind of a way of sort of, educating the owner and informing the owner maybe in things they haven't necessarily thought about and then they're going to you know have that information they've got a choice then whether they want to do that for them dogs as well and and um you know help do the best for their dogs because that's all we want is to do our best for our best friends so mm. look if someone wants some more information can you just tell us your website details and where they can get this information from yes of course um our website is www.bothendsofthelead.com and um, Tim, the other thing I think you were saying is that if someone, if people email you and look at doing some courses, which you do also here in Newcastle, don't you? That's right. Yeah, we come up to the Newcastle area once a month and we run like a one-day clinic where we book in one-to-one treatments for the dog. But we also occasionally run workshops up on here showing people how to massage their dog and stretch mm. their dog and take the best care of them, yep. Okay, yeah, and so if people make uh, contact with you, they can also possibly get access to a How to Stretch Your Dog video as well. Yeah, we're very happy to do that. Like I said, we just want to spread the word and help people do the best for their dogs, absolutely. Look, thank you very much for your time. That's great work that you're doing. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate giving me the time to chat. Thank you. Our topic today is walking the dog. Is there a certain protocol that should be followed when we're walking the dog? There are many people that will tell you lots of things about how to walk your dog. So the basic information is use what works for you. (laughs) So um, lots of people think that the dog has to be next to them the whole time. Really, the dog's getting out of the yard to explore and investigate. A colleague down in Sydney actually had her dog on the lead. She put one of those pedometers on the dog and on herself. The dog on a loose lead was just, it wanted four times the distance that she did. So she actually um, was letting the dog, yeah, just wander on the end of the lead and then would bring it back when people were going past and then would let it loose again so it can smell and investigate and see what's happening out there, pick up on all the scents that the other dogs and cats and possums. We can't get a dog to talk to us, but what do we think it means for the dog when it gets to go for a walk? Well, it's so much better than just sitting in the house all day. So like people with agoraphobia, they're scared of going outside. So like being stuck in a, in a prison, in a jail, in a room, cabin fever. Oh, that's right, it's raining during school holidays. I shouldn't really talk about this now, should I? But you go bananas. So they need to get outside. They need to pick up on all that information because it keeps their brain busy and it keeps their body busy. Really, just five minutes twice a day. If you can get out, just up a couple of houses, let them sniff along the footpath and back in again, 
um, that's the best thing. The really important thing about walking is to, it's sort of like driving a car. You've got to look behind you. You've got to look around you. You've got to be vigilant for the potential risks or the potential hazards that might be there. So are there other dogs? Is there a cat under the car in front? And sometimes the dog will pick that up before you do. And sometimes it won't and then jump backwards and be scared of the cat under the car. Or not. <laughs> one one thing I find, Dr. Bob, is when with my dogs, they get to know the routine. Yes, very and, important. And when it's that time of the day that you normally take them out, they know. Yeah, yeah they look at their watch. And they go, oh, it's that time. We better get ready. And they, and get, they prettle around <laughs> and they get excited. The time. Time, and they, time, and now, they look now, at now. you all the time. They look at you and they look for the sign when he's going to get up, when he's going to get the keys, and especially the lead. And, and so <laughs> some people tell me that the dog actually, you know, they're sort of not quite thinking about it yet. They finish the paper or they're, they're about to turn the television off and the dog goes to the cupboard. Yeah. So it's actually just about anticipating it what is. we're about to so do. So much in tune with us, aren't they? But as you said, Dan, Daniel, it's the, it's, they really love routine. Like yeah. kids, they love to know what's happening. So mostly you do take a regular walk that you do most of the time, but then every so often you go a different way. Because you want the dog to be developing relationship with you on that walk. So it's partly short lead and then loose or long lead. And that just, yeah, two, three metres on a, on, a, on a longer lead. And so it can wander and look. But if they are good and you know they're good at recall, then off lead. But they do not absolutely have to have off lead. So many people want their dogs to run off and, and, and be free and have fun. Well, no, they don't have to be. Now, Dr. Bob, their senses are so acute. When you take them a couple of weeks, a couple of blocks away from their home, what can they learn? They are picking up on which dogs have walked past, what those dogs have eaten in the last 24 hours, whether they're male, desexed or not, whether they've got pancreatitis. They are picking up on an extraordinary array of information. If they're boys and like blokes in a pub on a Friday night, they're into cocking their leg and sniffing things, maybe before, maybe after, then they're actually going to be picking up on yeah, saying, look, and, and they're actually competing between species, so between the possums, the foxes and the cats, all weeing on your telegra- telephone telegraph pole. That's an old one, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever the post or the, or the, yeah, it can be your letterbox out the front if on, you've got one. On the NBN cable. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the modern <laughs> yeah, Oh, that's really, that's digital natives. <laughs> Once you've taken them out for a walk, is it difficult to get them to come home? That's the trick about getting them used to the short walk because it gets them out, they come back. And the same if, and people tell me this a lot, there's lots of roaming dogs and that's either a risk to the person or to their dog or the person is worried about it. So sometimes I say actually that you get in your car because going in a car trip is just as much fun. They stick their head out and they pick up on all the things that are happening. You go on the car trip to the park and again, you just do a little foray away from the car five minutes and then back to the car. So you actually have somewhere to retreat back to, which is really good for those animals that are a bit scared, a bit uncertain. So they need to have the secure refuge, fortress, comfort zone to retreat back to. And we're talking today about walking our dog. And I put to you that we're going to explore now when we're on the walk on the path and another dog comes in the same direction as us. It is really tricky. And the difficulty, I guess, for the last 40 years, we've been confining our pets to the backyard. So they're not as well socialised as they may have been in the past um, but they are alive which in the past they wouldn't have been because they were all running around getting hit by cars so if you see another dog it depends on the type of that other dog and your dog so it makes it you have to sort of assess that situation if you don't feel happy then it's actually um, 
it makes the the dog a little bit worried too because you're not as confident as you used to be. So if you don't feel comfortable, you stop, you step behind a partial barrier, a, um, a fence, a car, a, a seat, a bush, and you just wait. So often people want to keep pulling past and, and it just looks like an uncomfortable experience, which it is. The dog gets aroused and excited. The is there any signs worried. to look for with the approaching dog, maybe pinning its ears back or tail or anything we should look for that might be going to attack or it, aggressive? It, it is very tricky because often some animals will actually hold it back until because they're actually being restrained by, the, by their owner and they're hiding all of those things. So if they do stiffen up or they wide stance in the front or their head goes down or the tail curls up like a scorpion at the back or your dog does similar things or it just drops to the ground and tucks its tail down and, and or hides behind you, which is often people say that as well. So if it just doesn't look like a good situation, just turn around and walk away. There's no point going where angels fear to tread. It's far better to actually be aware and to be safe than to go into something where you're just not certain what's going to happen. Now, so, we're out for a walk with the dog for the very first time, and it's pulling like crazy. <laughs> it's almost it's up on its front legs, you know, it's pulling away from... What can you do to stop this behaviour-wise? Basically, you should have been walking the dog inside the yard and the house to get it used to the lead. And the problem is, again, people tend to... Um, they want to put the lead and the harness on at the front door. Well, the dog's bouncing around, the people are bouncing around, and, 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 and it's just so hard to get the clip in the, in the collar. So it's better to actually be sitting in the, in the armchair at the dinner table, clip the lead in and just be calm, long, slow strokes, do a little bit of sit and stay, help the dog to know that the lead is good, but it's not something that yeah winds it all up. So far better to be controlling in a calm, controlled situation rather than out there where you're not in control of the weather, the, the wind, the other cars, the noises, the, all the things that might happen. So it's, if they are pulling, just stop. Don't let them do it. it. And I have lots of stories of people actually being pulled over, broken shoulder, arm, where they get pulled over on the driveway and, and because the dog's taking off somewhere. There are good leads. There's head halters and there's um, slow, um, non, no pull harnesses. You've got to be careful with all of those because it depends on the animal and how they actually cope with that sort of stress as well. So looking and checking and seeing what's happening. If it is something that, that you know is not right, again, if you're trying to pull in the opposite direction to where the dog wants to go, you're either going to snap the lead or snap the buckle so you actually, um, I call it slide to the side. So same as in a, in a current or a rip in the ocean, you don't try and swim against the current. You actually go with the current, but to the side. So you're heading towards the other dog and then you're just moving it away from that off to one side. Now, how do you find what's best suited? Because we hear about choker chains, we hear about uh, normal leads, we hear about harnesses. What works best for what dog? It, it's very interesting. We all have different personalities, so dogs have different personalities as well. So you will see particular dogs, sled dogs, husky Malamute types that love to pull. They love to, to um, yeah, keep things going. Um, some staffy types, bull terrier types will just keep pulling. Others, they're a bit scared and they, and they won't. But each device that you use would you be comfortable, comfortable to wear that device? It's what I ask people about check chains. If you want to be checked, choked really, then that's fine to use them. There are some dogs that are just so powerful 
it makes it very difficult, but still there's other better ways of doing that. No pull chest harness, so it's pulling on the whole body rather than on the neck where it's actually crushing vital um, arteries and nerves. Now, Daniel, you walk dogs yourself, big dogs, large dogs. Uh, any tips you can add, anything you can add in on this, on dog walking? Well, often I do get people coming in the store who do have who no longer enjoy walking their dog. Yes. And, that's a, and that's an issue that I like to address because that's not what's supposed to happen. No, it's supposed to be good and, fun. And Dr. Bob has a real um, uh, practical advice that you can give to help with that. But there are also equipment that we look at, better types of harnesses or leads that can help. And you're talking about check chains. But there are special walking harnesses that are designed by animal behaviourists that don't operate anything like a check chain. And they're not even around the neck. It's more around the chest and and the lead is attached to the chest of the dog, and these help the dog from and stop it from pulling, and therefore you start to enjoy the walks again. And I know, Daniel, your staff actually help the people mm. so that they have the right harness for their dog, yep. and so there are so many different types. You have to be aware of the, the, the actual physical structure of the animal, and they use the right one. Unfortunately, like many people come in with the harness that they've yes, already got. Yes. And it's a, it's a very old style harness. And that is the most popular harness. But those harnesses were developed for huskies to pull a sled. <laughs> you know, so they're designed to pull. Okay, so now in, in the modern yes. world we're talking about, and with the help of animal behaviorists, we've got special harnesses that yep. are designed to, for the dog to stop pulling. Yeah, very different. And it has to be a, a welfare friendly so it has to be that works with that dog that's not pulling too much under the arms or too much across the chest. And so, yeah, we can do much better these days. So it's just giving it a try. And we've got to call it Cardiff. Hello, who's there? Hello, I think it's me. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to make some inquiries about con- uh, more control over my dog that I have. Yep. What sort of a dog is it? Oh God knows, it's a dog. Uh, we got it's a uh, she's about twenty six, probably twenty seven kilos. That's a lot of dogs. And we dog. got her through pet rescue. Yep. It's uh, I think the vet at his um, leisure put her down as a box across. Okay. But I don't know what she's crossed with. I think greyhound or yep. something that likes to run fast and okay. take you with her. So with big dogs, it's really important that you have a degree of control. So you need to practice basic training, sit, stay, drop at home. And as I was saying before, just short little forays just along your front fence and then back inside before they get too aroused and over the top. And with that, um, being a rescue dog as well, she will come with emotional baggage. We have to develop relationship with her, help her to be more listening to the standards and the boundaries and the family um, boundaries that you set for her. Um, is she pulling when she's on a walk or is it? Yes. And, and she has in her mind somewhere that I should be going with her. <laughs> and um, the thing is, uh, I mean, she was nearly 12 months. She was either nine months old or 15 months old when we got her. Yep. So there, there started the problem. I don't think she had any training, no love. We had a problem with her feeding. Oh, uh, really? She's getting better with that. We've had it for six years. So she's definitely getting better with that. But she... Uh, she likes to do her own thing if, and if she sees another dog it's very difficult because that's where she wants to be. Okay, so yeah, we need to help her to practice being with you. She does not need to play with other dogs to survive. You are her family. So um, when she does go out, it's just taking her out for little um, trips in the car, take her for a drive to a park where there's no other animals. 
a lot of people will say try and get her used to them now. The problem at seven years of age, she's sort of like me. She's getting towards the you know the sunset years of her life. <laughs> so although she's um, yeah, think she's really good. She's not quite as fast as she used to be, and. We don't know what she's going to be like with those other dogs. So with 27 kilos of dog pulling you along, that makes it very difficult. So as we were saying before, very important to actually get a chest harness or a no-pull harness. Easy Walker, there's a lot of different brands out there that go around the whole chest, either attached to the front of the chest, so that when they are trying to pull away, they're actually redirected back to you. And uh, the other important thing is to, when you, before you actually leave the yard, look to see what's in the street. I have clients that I go to that every second house has a dog and, and just to walk up their own street is major problem. So don't do it. Get in the car, drive to a place where there's less dogs. You're happier. The dog is happier. It is more fun and dogs are supposed to be good for our health. Looking to see if there's any dog shows on in our area this weekend, Daniel. Well... As a matter of fact, Hillsborough Dog Show Grounds has got a dog show happening this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And as again, as we do ask people, if you're interested in a particular breed of dog or a puppy that you're thinking of getting in the next few months or six months, go to the dog show, have a look at them, talk to the breeders about what it's like to own that particular breed of dog and get some information, free information. You might be even able to see a puppy um, that they've brought to the dog show. So make the time, have a look. The best thing you can do is educate yourself about the breed you want to get because once you've got it, it's a commitment you need to make for the rest of the life of that pet. Great tips. Now, we've been talking about walking dogs today. Any last notes you can leave us with, Dr. Bob? I think the most important thing is to be calm, to be settled, look and see what the hazards are, but deal with them. So be alert, but not alarmed. So make sure you've got appropriate um, device for walking your animal and make sure the animal is happy doing it. If If something's not right... Ask someone. They can certainly help. We did get a call saying that um, you have to be careful of uh, your dog off-lead, which is very true. There are particular off-lead areas that are designated in each council area, um, and there are other ones that are used sort of as a part-time basis, but wherever you are, responsible pet ownership. You need to be aware of what your animal is potentially capable of doing. Some great tips today from Dr Robert Stabler, our vet. Thank you very much to Daniel Carrington for today also. Thank you.